Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and while the Vendor is still out on paternity leave, I'm joined today by guest co-host, Senior Editor Sam Rutherford. Hi, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Good. We're glad to have you here today. So this week, we have just a bunch of miscellaneous news. It's been, you know, a thankfully slow week on the news front, but we were, you know, able to talk this week about your hands-on with Nintendo Switch Sports. Uh, I had coverage of some face gadgets go up this week too, which I'll tell y'all about. And then, you know, Elon Musk and Twitter continue to have uh, developments going on this week. So we're going to talk about all of that. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and... Uh, usually on Thursday mornings at about 10 a.m. Eastern, we record this show live on the Engadget YouTube channel. So if you want to have some live interaction with us, have your questions answered, uh, you can always join us over there. So let's dive right into it. Sam, 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 you went into some place this week, not this week, maybe last week. Uh, you wrote up this hands-on with the new Nintendo Switch Sports. As a Switch user, I'm only barely like kind of vaguely familiar with the Switch Sports franchise, I'm going to need you to tell me all about it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go back like a long, long time ago, back on the original mm-hmm. Wii, Switch Sport, I mean, Wii Sports was, you know, it was a packing game, um, but it was like kind of the, it was the most uh, popular uh, Wii game of all time. And mm-hmm. it was kind of the game that like, oh, it kind of introduced motion controls to people and it made, you know, that pick up and play feel really approachable because, uh-huh. you know, you're just holding the Wii and you're you're playing virtual tennis or virtual bowling or, uh-huh. you know, a whole range of sports. And it, it was like, it was the, the, the classic Nintendo, like family fun, super simple, just pick up and play game. Yeah. And it was really popular. And like, even now, like when you think about, oh, what were the most memorable Wii games? Switch, I mean, Wii Sports is right up there. I keep saying Switch Sports because it's like, you know, Switch Sports is the game I played last week, and it's like yeah. really the spiritual sequel to that game. And for all those people in the comments, Wii Sports Resorts exists, and I'm not counting that one because that was like a DLC to me. So, anyways, yes. Ah, uh, there was so there was like an in between this the original Wii Sports. So Wii Sports came out about 50, more than 15 years ago, and okay. then they came out with like a DLC expansion uh, called mm. Wii Sports Resort that added a few more games, but it didn't have like the same level multiplayer, and there was a lot of single player stuff like archery. Um, and it was also kind of designed to sell the Wii Motion Plus accessory. So like mm-hmm. that was a weird, weird like sequel to me. But like the big impact is like they never made like a Wii Sports for the Wii U. Mm-hmm. And they never really made anything for the Switch either until now. And once again, I'm not counting one to Switch because that was like available on launch. But it was like kind of like a more of a tech demo than like a real f- f- fun family game um, gotcha. the way that Switch Sports is. Gotcha. So tell me how many like different types of activities, I guess, are available in this new Switch Sports. Yep. At launch, there's going to be six games. Uh, so mm-hmm. tennis and bowling are like the classics. They brought those back from Wii Sports and they added mm-hmm. four new games, volleyball, badminton, uh, Chambara and soccer. And what is for Chambara? that's a good question. So for those of you who don't know, don't I, I, I had no idea going in either. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> Chambara is like originally it's like kind of like the Japanese word for like sword fighting for movies. Oh. That's like that's like the kind of description. Um, but basically, it's a sword fighting game. Um, so you can okay. just think of it that way. So it looks like lightsabers uh, from the from the visuals that I'm seeing on screen here. Yeah, it it, uh, it definitely of... like scratches that like lightsaber kind of swashbuckling like <laughs> emotion. And there's even a charge sword mode and a dual wielding mode for that thing. So it's like really hectic. That is like one of the that and badminton, which is my favorite, are like the two uh -huh. fastest paced new games. And you just like you can just go buck wild and just like yeah. you just spin around and just like fly your arms like I like it's I, it seems like such a good game for kids because they like you know you can just spin around and do whatever you want and like it'll do something it might not be super effective but you know it'll yeah. work and you know it gives that kind of like gratifying feeling. I think I remember now with the Wii Sports there were like a lot of stories of kids throwing their controllers by accident out the window or something. Do you think that's a danger with this? Oh, well, I mean yes, but. <laughs> also not really because like the joy cons they have a little strap on the yeah. little attachment make sure you wear that like mm. if, if you throw your joy con into the big into your big screen tv that's kind of on you make sure you're <laughs> wearing like make sure you have a good grip but also make sure you're just wearing the strap so it doesn't come off flying and hit somebody or some gadget yeah. and then suddenly someone's really upset I, I, okay, so I have some mild experience with similar, like games with similar mechanics, right? Like, I think Just Dance, like you use the Joy-Cons, you strap them to one hand and you do the same actions. Um, I found sometimes like buttons on the Joy-Con can get in the way. I mean, some they're supposed to disable them, right? When I'm dancing or whatever. Basically, from your experience, like, tell, tell me like, are there glitches like that? What should like, what should people looking to buy this look out for? Yeah, I wouldn't really say it's like glitches, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, there are a couple button presses that you do need to do. Like in Batman, mm -hmm. you can like press one of the shoulder buttons to do a drop shot. So you do still have mm -hmm. to use the buttons, but you're, you know, the large part of like, you know, you're doing volleys, you're swinging back and forth. So, you know, you're mm -hmm. using your hands to do that. So I, I do want to call out soccer because soccer at launch, um, it's mostly going to be button controls, but there is a leg yeah. strap accessory. So you can do a shootout mode and you All can right. kick kick with your legs which is really interesting and that's only available in shootout mode for now but okay. Okay. um they're gonna add a um an update later this summer that will allow you to use the leg strap accessory in the main soccer mode so you'll have full motion controls then and then that's later amazing. on in the fall they're gonna add golf or uh, uh to the uh, switch sports so you'll have seven total games and that'll be a free update that's super funny. Okay, because like that's the exact two questions that I had was number one, I yeah, like the leg strap. I was like, that looks like a weird mechanic. Like, would you be walking around with it? Would you be like, um, I, it, basically, it looks like something that you strap onto like your thigh, more or less, and you strap the switch controller in there. And you're saying that it's not for the whole entire game. It's only really for when I guess you're kicking. It's, goals? it's really for only soccer. And so if you buy the physical uh, edition of the game, the leg strap comes with it. If you buy the digital okay. only one, you can buy the leg strap for $10 separately. So the digital edition costs $10 less. So if you want the whole kit, it costs the same regardless of you buy, you know, digital or physical. That said, if you bought Ring Fit Adventure, it's the same mm -hmm. leg strap accessory from that game. So you can reuse that. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, sticking since we're on the topic, I'll save my second comment for later on. What's the price of everything? So it's $50 for the physical edition, $40 mm -hmm. for the digital edition, and then $10 for the leg strap accessory. Um, and you can buy multiples in case you want to do like, you know, two people on soccer. And I, and I yeah. should mention that all of the games there have local multiplayer with split screen, which is great because, you know, you yeah. this is the game that you want to play in your living room with your family and friends, whatever. Yeah. But there's also full online support for all the games. And there's even like competitive modes so you can rank up and play people online and earn rewards and stuff like that, too. Was, this was literally going to be my like follow up question, which is when can I defeat you at this game, or or more likely lose because this is my history with Wii Sports. <laughs> like the thing is, like you know, there's there's obviously a skill aspect to the game. Um, sure. The game is going to be out on April 29th, by the way, so end of the mm -hmm. month. Um, okay. But like you know, there is definitely a skill. But like I think that's one of the great things about Switch Sports and Wii Sports back in the day is that like they're really accessible. So mm -hmm. even if someone is like has like oh like skills playing badminton or soccer even mm -hmm. someone who doesn't like they can compete it's competitive like you know and i played with four people at, the, at nintendo's demo 
and we were having rallies back and forth. And I was like, these, all these people had played like multiple times before they had like, you know, played the demo for a while. Like they were Nintendo employees. And this was my first time. And I was like, I was like, you can pick up the skill. It's like that okay. you have to learn the timing a little bit. Um, and the timing does vary between sports like soccer. I found really hard. Volleyball yeah. was like a little bit different and there's different gestures for stuff like bumping and spiking and all that. But like, mm. you know, it doesn't take that that long to like get the hang of it. That, I mean, so the reason I, I, I mentioned the like losing at this game thing is mostly my personal history with now I remember like my own history with Wii Sports, which is that when I went to a resort with some of my friends when we were teenagers, we like there was a game room that was Wii Sports there. We we're like, let's play. We played like some kind of Olympic thing. I don't know. And I think there was Javelin way back when. Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. There was some kind of like that sort of throwing sport. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then I was notorious in my friend group for being awful at javelin because when I threw out a real javelin, instead of throwing it in front of me, I would hit it, hit my head with it. Like that's that yeah. So then I was like, here we go, digital javelin. This is where I shine. I'm gonna I'm gonna win this one. And then I managed to also hit myself in the head again. So uh, I, I figured this is a game I'm not gonna be that great at, but I am looking forward to the other thing is the sport the golf edition, right? Because uh, my dad's a, a, an avid golfer, and I, I know that um, I think it was Buddy Three Hundred Five Love in our chat that said that the golf game on the last sports needed a lot of work, and you know uh, they hope that Nintendo fixes this. Did you get to play the golf preview at all? Unfortunately, I did not play get to play golf because um, it's not going to be out until later this fall. But that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing is that like if you are like a pro golfer, like a really enthusiast golfer. Like mm-hmm. you got to remember, this is like an accessible game for family and friends. This is not like right. a simulation golf game. That's going to like measure your swing trajectory and make sure you're like, you know, timing your uh, ball strikes correctly. Um, it's, you know, it's general motion controls. You know, they're using the joy cons for, you know, measuring your movement. They're not using like multiple accelerate accelerometers. You're not wearing a bodysuit. It's, you know, it's more of like the arcadey fun type instead of like a full simulation realistic type thing. Ah, okay. I mean, it it just looks like fun. I don't know if you're uh, supposed to use this as a means to work up a sweat. Uh, I'm sure you will, just because it looks like it's more, you know. Oh yeah, I, I, I like uh, badminton is super fast pace. I like I was nice. like definitely sweating. Like, like I, I know like the whole idea of like using playing video games to get a workout with like Beat Saber and stuff is not all that new. But like, I was kind of surprised at like how much like moving around just like I'm, I'm literally just standing there like swinging my arms but I was like you know yeah. I definitely worked up a sweat yeah I think I think this is like the, the like Nintendo's way of kind of making games that you can use the Joy-Con controllers sort of the the freestyle I don't know what you you like what the term is for when they're out of their dock right but like yeah the the solo Joy-Con controllers as opposed to like a VR game which would you know have their own for the Oculus for example the controllers the Rift controllers um it's not as immersive as a VR game, I don't think, but this is like a simple version, right? And at a more accessible price. Yeah. And it, 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 like I said, it's, it's really meant to be a party game that everyone can just pick up and play. You don't need to have prior experience. The controls are generally simple. And then for mm. when they're not using book controls, you're literally swinging your hands. Like no one has to show you how to like, even if you've never played tennis, you know, the general tennis motion. So it's just like, yeah. yeah. Or you could use this to learn tennis. Mm, Yeah, I'm not so sure. (laughs) I mean, I'm not so sure if like, oh, if you're going to be like a switch sports tennis pro and you go play like Roger Federer, I don't think that's going to go very well for you. But I don't think so either. No. Cool. Uh, Can you play? You obviously need the one with the Joy-Cons to play so you couldn't play this on the Switch Lite, right? Yes. I don't think... I mean, yeah, you just need to be able to have pick up and use that Joy-Con. Gotcha. You need it's in motion controls, so Switch Lite's not really an option. Gotcha. Well, any last thoughts about the Switch Sports Sam before we move on? Um, no, I just like it's it, like when I think about the Switch, it's like if they obviously the Switch was kind of a success right from the start, but if they had yeah. this game available at launch back in 2017, it would have uh, been like oh, just a runaway, like everyone had been going nuts because or- like when Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, like, you know, back of the Switch launch, they had uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. And then, like, the other launch titles were just kind of okay. ARMS was, like, a thing, but, like, that didn't mm-hmm. really, like, take off. And if they had, like, Zelda plus, like, a, this Switch Sports or something like it, like, mm-hmm. I think everyone would have been instantly convinced, like, because there was a lot of people like, seriously doubting the Switch back at launch. Huh. They were like, launch title's not good enough. Horsepower's not mm-hmm. good enough. Performance not good enough. But, like... 
Nintendo has always done its own thing in like mm-hmm. Switch Sports is like a really great example of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the question, the thing I was going to say is that or when they released this, if they had released this during the pandemic or the height of the pandemic, when people were stuck at home looking for ways to move, I think that's when like maybe a lot of people, myself included, bought Just Dance and Beat Saber, things that you could just use to to play. Like make you move instead of like, you know, Animal Crossing came out during the pandemic and that was like great, but you're still sitting in front of the Switch just like staring at a screen. I think like, you know, having something that would make you get up and move would be a lot more interesting. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the timing it might be a bit different, but I mean, whatever it is, this sounds like a fun trip. It's like a nostalgic thing, but also kind of not not timely anymore. But I think people will still have fun with it. So, uh, for all the details, uh, you know, dear listener or viewer, you can go check out Sam's hands on on Engadget.com. Moving on, so this week, Sam, you published the Nintendo Switch hands on Switch Sports hands on, among other things. This week. I, on Tuesday, have just coincidentally published two articles. One was called uh, What We're Buying, which is an IRL like a series at Engadget where editors kind of write about things we spend our own money on. Uh, and that was about a, a device called the Personal Microdermabrasion Pro. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but basically it's it's for scratching off the surface layers of your skin. Uh, and then I also covered the TheraFace Pro, which is a device from TheraBody, uh, which is the company that makes the TheraGun percussive recovery instruments. Um, they have released their first device for your face. Uh, and it basically, it does a few things, right? It does like the... LED light therapy, it has microcurrent therapy, but it also has what TheraBody is known best for, which is that percussive recovery thing. So basically, it's like a little massage gun for your face, and there is a mode where it basically gently punches your face. And when the two articles went up, I was just like, y'all, this week, I'm just talking about scratching my face off and punching my face. I don't know if people who are like paying attention think there's something going on. Like, I promise you, this was a full coincidence. I'm just hearing the names of these gadgets, I'm like, just, just beat my face up. Just like whatever, yeah. whatever you can do to make me look better. Just, just beat me up right now. Just do like, it. I'll just sit there. Yeah, it's like whatever. I'll suffer for beauty. Truly, um, I will say of the two, the PMD, uh, which is a personal microdermabrasion device, that's something that I bought myself. I've spent like years with by now, and I actually can say if or you know whether it was effective. Whereas the Theraface um, Pro is something I've only had for a few days. I haven't really even used it all that much. Um, but I can say right from the get that like the punching bit of it is very mild that like, even at the top intensity, it didn't feel like painful or whatever. It was just like, like, I don't know, like a little hamster poking at your face or something. I don't know. Like your son punching you, Sam, in your face, you know, I didn't know. (laughs) That's not the first thing I thought of, but okay. Yeah. A little, little, little fist, little baby fist coming at your jaw, you know, nothing. It doesn't hurt. It's actually almost cute. Um, and when done repeatedly rhythmically, it can be actually pretty comfortable. Um, so I don't know, Sam, I don't know how interested you are in beauty gadgets in general and what you think of most of them. Yeah. I like, I mean, the idea of like something like massaging your face sounds kind mm-hmm. of nice. Like you say mm-hmm. it's not painful, so that's obviously good, but like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm like the typical guy where it's like, I, I stay out of like the beauty world. Like I do yeah. like no face, like people yes. talk about like their facial routines and like their hair, their, their like, you know, moisturizing regimen. And I like, I don't, I don't know any of it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at, I'm at the level. It's like, oh, Hey, I hear like retinol is like the only like effective, effective thing <laughs> at like reducing wrinkles and making you look younger. So it's like, that's probably what I would go to if I'm yeah. like strapping like gadgets on my face. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like if I'm strapping gadgets on my face, it's going to be like a VR goggles. Like, ah, there you go. There you go. I mean, that's that's one face based gadget we can all talk about. But I I, I would like for, you know, there to just just be more awareness and coverage of beauty tech in general. And I think that's why I, I really take the plunge sometimes with these gadgets. At CES used to be the main place I would see some of these things, like L'Oreal always has something fun to show off. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to kind of like f- try these out and, and talk about them on Engadget.com. Um, you are right. Retinol is a pretty effective ingredient at lightening and doing like fine lines and wrinkles and stuff like that. The microdermabrasion device sort of has a similar effect, right? Like retinol is a is a, like an active ingredient that 
that has almost an exfoliating um, effect. And that's kind of what microdermabrasion does. This thing does like, uh, you know, scratching off the layers of your skin and also suction. So it's supposed to like not only do epidemial like removal sort of thing, but it also like promotes blood circulation, which is what you use like gua sha and stuff like that for. And so, you know, this this thing I personally found that with the right use. It, I was, was going to ask like how effective, like do you, do you, would you use this over like a traditional facial cream is, or is this something you just add to your existing routine yeah the latter exactly so you would use this once a week uh for me in the summer i taper off because like you don't want to leave your face so exposed um in the hot summer months with so much sunlight so i do this more in the winter about once a week and then i slather on like a huge moisturizing uh, mask on afterwards just to kind of replenish the you know your top layer is super exposed so you want to you want to keep your skin protected after um and then for the days after too i would like try to make sure i keep my skin hydrated and all of that stuff it's it's a lot for me like this has been a process that's been ongoing for like years and years i've been i've been paying attention to my skin because it's been so terrible like i feel i had a horrible time with acne in my teens and so i'm all the more like sensitive about it how long does actually using it take because you said once a week and i was like okay that, that doesn't sound bad how long does like the whole process take I mean, I'm pretty adept at it by now. Like the, I've got the motions and everything down. So I'd say like I can be done in five to 10 minutes with my face. Um, you're basically supposed to put it on your, your clean and dry face and then like drag it once over like every area, right? So you drag it outwards uh, on your cheeks, on your temples, on your forehead. You're not supposed to go over them more than once, right? So, you know, as long it depends on your face size, I guess. And I, I my face size takes about five to 10 minutes. Are we talking like 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour? For sure, five to 10 minutes for me because I'm used to it. Yeah. And then for someone who's not used to it, maybe with your first attempt, you're going to take 15 to 30 minutes, I will say. Just figuring it out and then, you know, put everything away. And then and then everything else that comes after I've left out of that uh, that form, that calculation, right? So like putting your face mask on, putting your moisturizer, that sort of stuff comes after um, and depends on depends on what you use. It could take anything between 20 minutes to an hour or so. Um it, this has been your fun beauty gadget talk for the day. I don't feel like our the engadget the typical engadget listener. I'm not sure how curious people are about these things. I just feel like if it's a gadget, I'm going to try it. Okay, so here's a good question: How much does these things cost? Because the oh, yeah. beauty market world is like, <laughs> I kind of scare you, me in terms of like pricing. You've asked a really good question. Now for devices like this, the PMD Pro that I bought goes for $160. Um, and then there's various bundles. There's a PMD like higher up version that's like two hundred dollars, etc. But you know, it's a it's a single purpose device, and for that price, I think it's it's that's what you'd expect. The TheraFace Pro, the one that does LED, microcurrent, punch your face, uh, that one's three hundred and ninety nine dollars to start for the whole bundle. It's a lot. It's a lot, and it. Also, there's uh, additional hot and cold rings that are optional, and those cost $99. Uh, you can do thermal therapies with them. So that is a lot of money. Uh, still sort of cheaper than the Dyson hair curler or hair wand. Uh, and and I think, yeah. Different things, but yeah. Very different. But, you know. And there's also the, 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 Dyson, the Dyson markup. You know, Dyson yes, hasn't made exactly. a cheap gadget ever, I don't think. Exactly. I, I never haven't heard. If you find one, tell me, you know. So... I, you are right that in the beauty industry, the markup is pretty insane, right? Like if you talk about brands like La Mer or uh, Augustus Bader, their creams are just like hundreds of like hundreds something or 200 plus dollars. I'm just there like, what is in this? It's like diamonds. Like what do they do? It's, it's just kind of confusing I have seen me. diamond face cream before too. I this is This is fair. But I'm really into like you know, more affordable ranges that don't actually, that still use very good clean ingredients like The Ordinary, Inky List, um, Cape Korean Beauty is like my huge thing. So I don't know. I, I could talk about skincare all day, but this might not be the, the show for it. Um, uh, do name Charlie in the chat also points out, oh, you could buy a Switch for $3.99, the OLED Switch. Is that right, Sam? OLED Switch goes for $3.99? Uh, it's three fifty or $3.99. I see. So, okay. Anyways, if you want to read more about these two gadgets, if you're curious about, you know, maybe buying them for yourself. Hey, maybe you're the sort of person that's into these things. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe or just read the articles on Aingadget.com.
In some other news this week, the Elon Musk and Twitter story just continues to develop. This week and earlier this week, too, we learned that Elon Musk will not be joining Twitter's board of directors after all. We later find out that uh, Elon Musk was a little late in filing some paperwork with the SEC that he was supposed to file. Uh, Specifically, he was required to file paperwork with the SEC by March 24th, which was 10 days after his stake in Twitter grew to 5%, but he didn't do so until April 4th. Um, That is like a delay of, I want to say, 8-ish 8, 10, 10 days, uh, there, thereabouts, right? Yeah. Um, and the not joining of the board of directors, uh, it said, it sounded like Elon Musk was the one that decided against being part of the board of directors. We're not very sure. Anyway, the formal statement from Twitter is that we have and will always value input from our shareholders, whether they are on our board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder and we will remain open to his input. Sam, were you around when all of this was? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been following it loosely. Basically, anytime Elon tweets something or something happens in Elon, it's like instant news. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, he, he bought a big stake in Twitter um, mm-hmm. and he didn't disclose that in a timely fashion. And I think mm-hmm. that obviously opens up some risks to like, oh, he, you know, he suddenly has a bunch of shares and maybe he's like making profit off these somehow without disclosing right. it in the necessary um, manner. Right. And then like they were saying, uh, originally they were saying Elon's going to join the board and the paperwork he filed sort mm-hmm. of indicated that he wasn't actually going to do that. Cause there's two different forms that you fill out. Right. If you ha- are a big shareholder and you intend to join, uh, uh, join the board of chair. Or, right. Or board not. Of directors. Yeah. Bo- yeah, yeah. Board of directors or not. And so he filed the one that sort of indicates that he wasn't going to do it. So it kind of seemed like all along, he knew that he wasn't going to join the board of directors, but somehow someone said that he was, and that's kind of where the kind of miscommunication confusion uh, started. Uh. Yeah, according to our article about this, uh, you know, it says it's not clear why Musk decided not to join Twitter's board, especially he's, since he seemed to be full of ideas on how to change uh, Twitter. Most recently, he tweeted out at, at the time of that article anyway, most recently he tweeted out the idea of giving verification check marks to paid Twitter Blue subscribers. He suggested that Twitter converted San Francisco office to a homeless shelter space since, quote, no one shows up anyway. Uh, and then he also, you know, famously ran that poll asking if Twitter should add an edit button and then just a day later the company said it would do so like it seems like he was still wielding a great amount of influence my own suspicion on hearing that behind the scenes about the paperwork filing i don't think elon is like absent-minded enough to file the wrong sort of paperwork in you know declaring intent to be a board member but it is it possible you think like maybe he just flubbed and he wanted to be on the board and then like just filed the like wrong paperwork for it um I mean, it's it's hard to know, like, yeah. if he changed his mind at some point or something. I sort right. of have a feeling that, like, the Twitter board probably be like, "Hey, Elon, would you would you mind not doing that?" Because the the, mm-hmm. huge, the problem with Elon is that he has like way too many Twitter followers, and so right. anytime he just like he's not like you or me, where if we just like right. tweet out a joke. No one pays attention and no one cares. Excuse he, me. Excuse okay, sorry, me. Sorry. All of five people pay attention when I tweet yeah, out a joke. All right, okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but like if, if Elon tweets out a joke, then like yes. people take that seriously. And then like people yeah. start buying like shares or like, yeah. you know, I saw the other day uh, Elon was tweeting about hamsters. And then there was like uh, a crypto coin that had a hamster oh, in the God. title suddenly like uh tripled in value and it's like it wasn't he didn't even say anything about the coin itself he just mentioned hamsters in a tweet and then that caused like some weird reaction in the crypto world and it's just like i think it's easier like for him to be like okay he's sure he's a big shareholder he's got a ton of money but like they i I think twitter doesn't want people taking elon's tweets as gospel and if he was on the board then i think there would be a lot more of that and even if it's like you know not correctly you know people are just interpreting overblow- yeah. yeah overblowing tweets i think it's yeah. easier to avoid that confusion and so that maybe that's what happened yeah uh there's there's just like a lot of questions around the uh the reasons behind this sadly we'll never know until someone writes a tell-all book about it but the 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 fan base of elon musk i i hesitate to say this but it feels like it's a cult of elon musk right like they're more rabid than your typical like fan of 
say Tim Cook, if Tim Cook has fans, does Tim Cook have fans? Um, it, like they're just, yeah, but the, the, the Elon Musk fans are just more intense. They take everything he says as, like you said, gospel. Um, and so it, it makes sense why people will want to like be careful or he, I guess he should be more careful about what he tweets, but we shouldn't like make like tell the man to stop tweeting jokes and, you know, share prices get so affected by them. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, like you kind of, like you said, like the only other person I can think that people had like this devoted a following to is Steve jobs. And like, yes, I'm, exactly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying like Steve jobs or Tim cook is better than the other. Like, that's not the point. Like, but right. like Tim cook does a better job of like staying out of the spotlight. He's not like, he doesn't have that like cult, cult of personality persona yeah. that Steve jobs did. And so like, I maybe because like Steve jobs isn't around anymore. You need to have yeah. that one tech guy who just like people think is somehow magical. And I guess that's Elon. Yes. I, I will say this, there is late breaking news, at least as of this podcast recording that this morning, April 14th, Elon Musk did offer to buy Twitter for 43 billion dollars uh in an sec filing uh, he said that the deal would be good for free speech quote i invested in twitter as i believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe and i believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy and uh, he plans to take the company private if this offer is taken up and that is kind of terrifying, given what we just were talking about. Uh, according to the Engadget report on this, uh, Elon Musk offered $54.20 per share in cash. Uh, that's about 20% over Twitter's existing opening price, which then led to Twitter's shares jumping up 18%. So I should have been buying Twitter stock is what I'm hearing. No, I would like to disclose that I don't buy individual tech stocks because that's uh, kind of ethically gray. Um, but yeah, Sam, do you, do you think a Twitter as owned by Elon Musk would look great? Um, I, I mean, it, it's Twitter's like a mess as it is. And they just got a new CEO, like, you know, Jack Dorsey stepped aside to work on block. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, in some respects, you kind of want the new person to like, Hey, let's let's see what they're gonna do. Let's see how they're going to, you know, shepherd yeah. Twitter. And like Twitter already has like this weird outsized influence in terms of yes. like other social media because people yeah. don't go to Snapchat to break news, right? But no. if you know, but CNN and like New York Times, if there's something going on, they'll tweet that out. And so yep. people follow that as like a way to, you know, be be a platform where they're you know disseminating information. I did not follow, I am not a follower of Elon Musk. I don't read his every word like it's gospel, but I, I am curious, what was his thought on when Twitter kicked Donald Trump off? Do you know if he had a reaction? Do you remember? I don't remember. And, and so this is the thing is like, I don't, I don't right. follow Elon in that way where it's like, I want to know his every opinion on like, you know, the news of the day. Right. Um, but, you know, My, as someone yeah. who's like, you know, as someone who runs Tesla and SpaceX, he does yes. have, you know, a very influential voice in tech. Yeah. My concern is that, like, if he felt one way or the other about Twitter kicking, you know, off people who say stupid shit, right? Like, if he thinks that no free speech means we should be able to keep them on the platform, then his ownership of Twitter seems like it would change things in a not very great way for me. Um, but this is just me speculating. I don't know that it's fair to say Elon Musk is that way. Like, you bring up a good point because a lot of people get confused about free speech and Twitter. Twitter mm -hmm. is a private company. I mean, yes, they are publicly owned, but they are a company. They are not the government. So free speech as like in the First Amendment does not apply to Twitter. Right. Their their job is to, um, you know, manage Facilitate. their social right. platform as they see right. fit. They are not under the same legal and constitutional obligations as, you know, a state government or a public mm -hmm. school or a public university that is state funded mm -hmm. per se. So it's like he could do that where like, hey, yeah. I'm going to apply the First Amendment to Twitter in the same way that it applies to governments and state entities. And that's mm -hmm. a business decision. But he doesn't have to do that. Yeah, 
He doesn't. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, he'll be free to do whatever he wants in that way. Um, he There's some discussion uh, in our live chat about whether or not Twitter will accept the offer. Uh, I will say this, that Elon Musk also wrote a separate text uh, in this filing saying, I am not playing the back and forth game. I have moved straight to the end. It's a high price and your shareholders will love it. If the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. This is not a threat. It's simply not a good investment without the changes that need to be made. So what he's saying is, I don't believe in your management right now, and I don't believe that my 9.2% is enough for me to make the necessary change. I would need to, because he's not going to be a board member anymore, right? So he just thinks that he needs to take over all of Twitter to make the changes that he wants to see, it sounds like. So curiouser and curiouser, whatever the future of Twitter is going to be, uh, it's, it's definitely a very interesting time right now. Yeah. And I, I think as far as like social media and just tech in general is concerned, mm-hmm. I think it's probably a bad thing for him to be in charge of Twitter on top of yeah. SpaceX and Tesla because it, yeah. it's just too much. And on top of that, like, you know, uh, what what credentials does Elon have running a social media company? Because there's more than just the tech that powers the platform. It's right. like, you know, you're talking about ethical and moral decisions in terms yes. of like trying to defend people's privacy or trying to defend them from being doxxed or attacked or harassed. Yep. And so yep. it's like, uh, like te- Tesla and SpaceX are one thing. Twitter is just yep. like, I-, I don't see where his expertise is in that. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think one of the skills that should be required for this sort of role or service is caring about other people's well-being. I'm not sure that Elon Musk has that. He very well may. I just haven't seen it myself, right? So, uh. Anywho, um, the the last bit of news to remind everyone around this is that Elon Musk is uh, facing a class action lawsuit from a Twitter shareholder who... Just, you know, said that this 11-day delay in declaring his investment in Twitter uh, may have netted Elon Musk as much as $156 million. And according to the lawsuit, these gains, you know, came at the expense of the other shareholders that couldn't profit in the same way, that didn't make the same, you know, profit. So there's a lot going on. Uh, We'll keep paying attention to it. Uh, In the meantime, if you have any thoughts on Elon Musk potentially owning Twitter, you can send them to podcast at Engadget.com. Speaking of uh, companies with intriguing moves, uh, Activision Blizzard, who we've covered a lot here on the podcast, has recruited a new chief diversity officer. Uh, Remember, Activision Blizzard has been accused of sexual harassment, toxic workplace, lots of very, very bad stuff going on in there. Um, It has recruited a new chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, Kristen Hines. Um, She will report to the company's chief people officer, Julie Hodges. I don't know much about Hines. Apparently, Hines most recently led the global diversity, equity, and inclusion practice at Accenture and seems to have, you know, the resume for it. Any any thoughts on Activision getting a, a diversity officer, Sam? Do you feel like this is t- not a big enough move for them to improve everything? Um, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, like the, the whole situation is a little bit weird because yeah. the only reason why we care about this mm-hmm. and this is news at all is because Blizzard has done such a poor job in the past, which is yes. why, you know, you have multiple lawsuits and ha- harassment claims and all that. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, Activision Blizzard is in, is in a weird ship where they're trying to correct their company culture and mm-hmm. kind of restart all of that because mm-hmm. it was such a mess before. And so and the person who who was the previous uh, head of HR, you know, left because mm-hmm. it seemed like they were having a hard time changing that culture. Right. So, you know, she's got a tough road ahead of her. You know, I wish yes. her the best of luck. And, you know, as you know, especially for me, like I, you know, I've played Blizzard games like all throughout my yeah. childhood, all my life. And it's like, yeah. you know, you, you don't want to see a company like that crumble because of poor management. So hopefully mm-hmm. she can fix stuff and they can get back to not being in the news because of harassment. And they can just be like, yep. hey, there's a good game and people are happy in making it. And you don't mm-hmm. like you like you got it before you but you got to write the ship before you can do that so yes. you know good luck to her 
So on that note, the to get really specific about what Heinz is supposed to be doing, one of Heinz's key responsibilities is to help the company meet its commitment to increase the percentage of women and non-binary people in its workforce by 50% over the next five years. Uh, according to a 20, 2021 representation data report, the Activision Blizzard said that women made up only 24% of its workforce. Heinz is also supposed to work with uh, Activision Blizzard's gaming teams to, quote, ensure diverse and inclusive perspectives are included in game design, including storylines, character development, gameplay, and community interaction. So Activision Blizzard games might get different, more diverse storylines soon, hopefully. You know, as a gamer of, you know, Activision's titles, you looking forward to that, Sam? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they've been, at least in terms of the game side, Blizzard has yeah. been you know, a little bit more, uh, like inclusive in terms of like, you know, they, they like canonically made tracer from overwatch, uh, you know, LGBT. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and she's not the only one, there are other characters in overwatch specifically that are like on the LGBT, you know, right. spectrum. And, and so like, it's, it's nice. They like, in terms of like the individual, like games, like they mm-hmm. are, you know, pretty inclusive and, and more inclusive than some other games. But like, you know, it's hard to say what diversity means in terms of like World of Warcraft, where there's yeah. elves and dwarves and, you know, all, yeah. all that. Um, and but, you know, I think. Hopefully this is like a step in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, the, the uh, Ms. Hines is like going to be, you know, she's not going to have any input into game development, right? Her her main role is c- focusing on company personnel, company hiring. And then maybe, right. you know, because of that, there will be more support for inclus- inclusivity, you know, across the company, which is obviously a good thing. Right. Well, uh, hopefully, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with uh, the hiring of Cheryl Hines, but we'll... You know, I think the effects will take a while to see. Meanwhile, uh, Meta, or formerly known as Facebook... Uh, confirmed to CNBC this week too that it will be taking a grand total of a 47.5% cut from digital asset sales in Horizon Worlds, which is uh, its platform in the metaverse, I believe. Uh, This is... This will be a a 30% cut from the Meta Quest store. So Meta Quest is the, you know, formerly Oculus Quest headset store. And then 17.5% through Horizon Worlds itself. So uh, if you're trying to sell items in Meta's virtual world, which I think, do we still call it the metaverse? I don't know. Sure. If you're, trying to, if you're thinking of selling stuff in there. NFTs? To, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Sam, that was a fatal blow. Um, if you're trying to, you know, perhaps be a creator or a business person in the metaverse marketplace, bear in mind, there will be a... Well, half of your revenue gone to Meta. Uh, this just seems very weird, Sam. Did you expect uh, Meta to do this? I mean, I, I obviously like the whole point of the Metaverse and Horizon Worlds was to have like a VR app store of some sort or right, digital right. digital store where Facebook can take their cut. Because I mean, you, you mm-hmm. look at like some of the most profitable things in the last decade. It's the mm-hmm. App Store. It's the Google Play yes. Store. It's Steam, uh, Epic right. Game Store, right? And so all yeah. these companies, like if you can get a virtual store and just take mm-hmm. your fat chunk, 15, 20, 30%, 30% is typically what you get, then you know, <laughs> you're basically printing money. And so obviously, okay, yeah. like from the business perspective, that's what Facebook wanted to do. Now, a yes. 50% cut seems extremely Huge. high. It's and, huge. In the Engadget podcast scale of how huge things are, this is a chunky chunkster of a cut because Apple takes 30%. That's just a hon- honkster or an onkster. This is a chunkster of a cut. So go ahead. And so like any developer who sees that uh, Meta is going to take around a 50% cut, that's like, why would you even put your game uh, on that store? Because it's not like, at least right now, it's not like Horizon Worlds or the Quest has that big of a user base um mm. and so it's like they're it's just not worth it for them and hopefully you know hopefully someone else sees this and be like okay we can do this but uh decrease the cut exactly maybe someone else can make a store that that, that can be hosted on similar servers or come up with a better world than this whatever this is it's really really a bad idea i mean it's also kind of ironic right because meta uh did 
blast Apple's 30% take or, or share of in-app purchases uh, and, and said that it was going to change subscriptions to help creators keep more revenue. Uh, this is just, just ridiculous that it would do this after saying that. Hopefully Meta decides to, to reduce this in time, maybe with scale, it, it can profit from a lower cut. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see any way that this stays at fifty percent for a long, long term. There, there's no way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think for now, I don't think Meta is going to see a lot of enthusiastic development of content or, or you know, that marketplace in Horizon Worlds anytime soon. Um, but you know, it's been a it's been a slew of depressing kind of corporate greed, corporate badness news for well, so far. Let's move on to something a little more lighthearted, I think. We saw a device called the Vivo X Fold this week. It is a foldable phone uh, that folds inwards on itself, sort of like the Galaxy Z Fold, I believe, made by Vivo. Uh, and the intriguing thing about this is that it's got a fingerprint reader on both screens, so both on the inside screen and I believe the outside screen, which, cool. Thanks, Vivo, for thinking about my login convenience, because this is the big problem with with uh, foldables right now. Sam, you're an avid foldable user is this something you find yourself missing, like a, an in-screen fingerprint reader on both screens? Uh, my daily driver is a Z Fold 3, um, and so it has a side-mounted fingerprint t- sensor, which is fine. I can see like the appeal of adding you know, an ultrasonic or optical fingerprint, in-screen fingerprint sensor to the phone. It would probably be nicer. The thing that I'm worried about is the cost, is because like the Z Fold 3 is already absurdly expensive, and adding this, it's like there are, to me, there are bigger issues with foldables in general than trying to, at least at least for right now, than trying to add uh, in-screen fingerprint sensors. So that's that's like kind of a hard sell for me. It's also like makes things trickier, right? Like as an engineering uh, challenge, this is up there. You, if you had, if they had decided to have the side-mounted capacitive sensor on the power button, like most other foldables. It feels like this would have been easier to make. I I feel like personally, I feel like this just introduces another, not only just another challenge, but another like point of potential failure, right? Like, yeah, for sure. And it's like on like the front cover screen. Okay, I I see like the it's fine, but like on the inside, it's like well, you can't put it in the middle because there's the hinge. And so, do you put it on the left side or the right side in favor righties versus lefties? Okay, you probably put it on the right side because. Just, you know, across the world, more people are generally right-handed. But it's just like, you know, at that point, is it that much different than just having a side-mounted sensor, which I use every day and it's totally mm-hmm. fine? Um, I don't know. It, it's just like, it, it's it's like more of a side grade than an actual mm-hmm. upgrade to me. <laughs> I like that, side grade. Um yeah, we'll see. I, this device is not going to be available outside of China just yet. So it's it's more something that we're looking at from afar than something we have to seriously consider if it's something that people should buy. Um, so you There, know, there is one more innovation on that that they're, that they're talking about that slightly interests me more as like a, you know, a foldable phone user. And they're talking about how they have a new hinge design that um, it's like a, a teardrop shape when it's closed, which uh, kind of reduces the appearance of a crease, which... I'm on record saying that the crease is honestly not that big of a deal, but but also there's a, a like inside the hinge there's a new metal plate that kind of pushes up on the crease when it's fully open, so that you when you run your finger across it you don't feel the crease as much, and that is sort of interesting to me because you know once again in practical use it doesn't make that much of a difference, but when you do run your hand over and you feel that crease it's like you do notice it and it's like if you're playing games or like you know using a full full that full touchscreen experience i can see how like that is one thing that eventually uh you know foldable phone makers are going to want to address and so i think that's interesting from you know a future uh you know development and you know iteration of the foldable form factor i i personally actually enjoy the sensation of touching that hinge i have been I am, I think, on record for having described the feeling as like you're stroking a naked tendon. It just feels so good. (laughs) I've never thought about it that way, but okay. Don't you think? It just feels like 
Yeah, okay. There's something to me that's very sexy about that sensation. But uh, what, what? So, oh, where's where's the tendon located? Is this like a leg tendon or like an arm tendon or I like? I think it's a, like an like a like an arm tendon, uh, maybe a neck tendon. It this this is like... getting like weirdly romantic between your relationship <laughs> with your and, foldables. I mean, my foldables. We yeah, I, I have a very physical sensation relationship with my foldables. Um, sensual, on to, almost. <laughs> Oh my god, it is. Moving on to something that's less sensual. Uh, Sonos bought a Dutch startup called Mate. Uh, I probably am butchering the name. Um, it is the and that startup is best known for co-creating a Bluetooth speaker that is powered by light. Um, now I am, you know, p- being powered by light. I think it means that it's you know got solar cell material sort of blended into its exterior to, to generate power for the speaker. Um, and I think that's just an intriguing um, purchase on Sonos's end. Does this mean that Sonos might be making solar-powered speakers at some point soon? Possibly. Um, but this is, this is just an intriguing piece of news coming out of the audio world. The other interesting piece of news that I wanted to shout out this week, Netflix is exploring ways to let you give shows a two thumbs up rating. Sam, would you ever give a show two thumbs up? And if so, what show would it be? Um, Sure. Why not? I mean, like the whole like good, bad rating system for shows where it's like either thumbs up or thumbs down is like a little just like too simple. And so, you know, if you like something like someone really likes a show, give them two thumbs up. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. Now you're putting me on the spot. It's like, what show, especially on Netflix, <laughs> would I give yes. two thumbs up? I mean, like, I really like Ozark. Like, Stranger yes. Things is, like, always solid. Yes. Um, and so, like, yeah, sure, why not? So here's um, what it'll do. It, so far, it's, right, like you said, thumbs up and thumbs down. So in the past, what you do when you did a thumbs up, you would kind of get a few more recommendations based on that show that you liked, right? Um, this time around what Netflix is doing is tweaking sort of that recommendation engine based on this. So if you like the genre and style of a show and you want to see similar titles, a single thumbs up is pretty okay. But if you throw out a two thumbs up, Netflix will take into consideration things like actors or specific creators. According to a blog post from Netflix, a two thumbs up will tell us what you love and help us get even more specific with your recommendations. For example, if you love Bridgerton, you might see more shows or films starring the cast or from Shondaland. So, you know, if you want to see more stuff like Ozark, very specific things like starring the people in it. I forget the cast right now the names of the cast jason bateman thank you jason bateman you're right you might get a jason bateman movie next so horrible bosses i guess mm-hmm. coming your way after liking ozark yeah i mean so yeah. it's like i, I like in, in far of like in terms of usability improving recommendations that's fantastic uh google actually introduced something uh last year or maybe the year before for google tv where they have like a survey where you can go through and they'll like ask you a bunch of like, hey, have you seen this? Did you like it? And so that's how they're like trying to refine their recommendation engine. And I think, but it's like not, it's kind of organized differently. So like you have to actively go in and be like, hey, let me let me look at these titles. Let me give you some feedback. And I think to me, that sort of makes a little bit more sense because it's more purposeful. And so you're like, you know, not only do you know that like you're giving your information to Google to help them recommend stuff better to you, it's just like, it's more clear instead of like, oh, do the two thumbs up mean I really, really like this? Or do the two thumbs up means, hey, can you show me more stuff like this? Right. And so exactly. that's like, they're kind of blending those two like decision factors into one thing. Mm-hmm. And okay, sure. Um, With the Google approach that you're describing, it sounds like, you know, you, the the viewer is already in the mood for doing the recommendation tuning. So, right. so they're, 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 they're right going out of their space. way to make sure that like, hey, I want to see more stuff like this. I want to like make sure my recommendations are better. Now, the, the the downside of that is that like a lot of people don't know that option even exists. So they have to know to go and do that. Whereas, you know, having the double thumbs up does make it a little bit more accessible, a little easier to use as far as just like generally casually going through your library. I also think you're more likely to remember like how you felt about the movie right after you've seen it as opposed to going into a different page and then, oh, did I ever like this movie? And it's like a Tinder for movies and shows, right? Like swipe left, swipe right. It doesn't, it's not the exact mechanic, but you're basically like liking or disliking titles, right? And you might not remember. For me, it's like, did I even watch this? Do I remember what I liked about the girl across the street from the window? I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which I don't think that's. The I tried to watch with my wife, and my wife loves Kristen Bell. She's like, I can't do this show. Really, I wa- yeah. I love Kristen Bell too, and I've watched some of it, and I powered through. I thought it was like just campy, and it's supposed to be bad, and it was you know. I think the campiness mixed with like the weird like thriller horror yes. aspect it was like not doing it for her. We will get to our our picks that we actually like in a moment. But for now, let's talk about what we've been working on. Sam, it looks like you're reviewing a lot of things. Tell me all Mm -hmm. about them. Uh, I mean, my main thing on the docket is I just got in the 2022 Razer Blade 15, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Razer has made some of the best gaming PCs over the last decade. You know, they're kind of, at least to me, they're kind of what I think of in terms of like a premium gaming laptop. So I'm interested to see how this performs. And it has a new uh, Intel 12th gen chip and upgraded GPU. So, you know, it's going to have a nice spec bump. The design is pretty similar to last year because Razer is pretty conservative about like, you know, doing like refreshes too often. Um, But, you know, there are some nice spec bumps. So that's nice. And then I was just at the New York Auto Show yesterday and yes. so I saw the new VW ID buzz and a couple other things. So I'm going to have some stories on that coming out soon. Very cool. Uh, meanwhile, I am working on editing some stories, a review of the Galaxy A53. That should be hopefully going up soon. Um, and then I'm seeing a few different interesting uh, gadgets outside of my usual because now Sam's around to help me out with the laptops and the phones. I get to look at things that punch my face um, and also, you know, uh, fitness related products or, or other stuff like that. Um, so that'll be fun. You can stay tuned and get stay tuned to Engadget for all of that. Now, I know, Sam, you have been watching a, you know, Severance that we've talked about earlier mm-hmm. on this show. But for this week, because we've already talked about Severance, what do you recommend other people check out uh, in Engadget Picks? Uh, yeah. So uh, Killing Eve, uh, the final mm-hmm. season, uh, just came back. And... That show was just bonkers, and the first <laughs> yes. I'm only a, I'm only a few episodes in, and like the whole arc of that, like the this most recent season is just like I, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm like I'm curious enough to keep going, and and it seems like they're starting to get back to like the core, like you know, assassin cat and mouse game, and that that I think is where the the show is its strongest, and so like they started off kind of going off on a tangent, and they're getting back to you know, what makes that show incredible, which is, um, you know, the dynamic between Eve and everybody else. Yes, um, yes. Did I did I hear somewhere Villanelle. that this was the final season, by the way? Yep, this is the final season. Oh, boy. Okay, and that's and probably so, why they're returning to the roots, yeah. Yeah, and, and also, like, obviously, like, you know, when you have a good show, you, like, want it to keep going forever. But I also appreciate, like, the finality of, like, hey, we're letting you know ahead of time, this is it, like, we're going to we're going to wrap everything up and you know kind of like talking about severance is like when i just finished severance it's like oh there's going to be a second season they didn't wrap anything up and it's like a little disappointed but like obviously i want to i want to see more of what's that but like you know I, I appreciate like having a good ending instead of like a show going on too long getting canceled and not yes. like Ugh. concluding things in a way that you want to see done yeah julio uh barrientos our producer uh in mentioned to us that it's the same thing with Stranger Things season four being the last season that it I, I'm guessing it felt final right because I didn't watch Stranger Things. Uh, yeah, um, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm 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 excited to see Stranger Things, which I think is going to be out later this spring summer. For me, I, I I have the same issue with you, Sam. The same thing with all the shows that we kind of know are getting new seasons, like Severance. God, I love Severance a lot. We've talked about it on the show, on, on this podcast before. We won't rehash it. But now that the f- season finale is up, it's like, okay, I, I am ready for more. And I have to wait for another year or so. Ted Lasso is in that stage where like we had a story arc for just three seasons and we don't know if we want to do more. And if there's hunger for more, maybe we'll do more. And it's like, do we really want them to do more? I, I don't know. I kind of... The second season was great, but it wasn't as satisfying as the first. So it feels like if we try to squeeze more out of a franchise that doesn't necessarily have more to offer, we might be we might be doing them a disservice. So, okay, this week I have a surprise for Sam because we <laughs> look. Sam used to introduce me. Uh, Sam and his wife used to introduce me to all kinds of Netflix dating shows. You know, so this week I thought I've been watching The Ultimatum. Someone in the chat called it. I've been watching The Ultimatum, hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey. 
Uh, and the premise of this show, <laughs> this is basically kind of a spin-off from, uh, was it the, not The Circle, the, one of their other Netflix dating shows. Not this is not many. the first dating show that they've hosted. No, this is a spin-off from the other dating show they've hosted. I can't remember the name offhand, but anyway... Love is Blind, uh, our uh, Julio says, thank you for, very much. Yes, this is an offshoot from Love is Blind. Uh, basically, the idea is that there are, I don't know, like six or seven couples that have been dating for anywhere between one and a half to two and a half years. And they're still not getting married. And one of them has issued the other an ultimatum. Come on this show. This, uh, try to date some other people and then decide if you want to get back together and get married or not. Uh, cool. <laughs> That's like a great premise for getting shit really messy. Um, one of the things about this, the, the first episode of the show is that Nick and Vanessa Lachey actually uh, openly tell everyone that they had actually taken some time apart during their relationship where they both saw other people i think and then that's when they realized that they wanted to come back together and work with renewed effort on their relationship and so i think that they decided from personal life experience that that's a great way to see if these couples are in it for the long haul it is messy it is it is so ridiculously dramatic it is just it is uh some of it was like some people seem to be sound and you know stable and 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 you know but as with most reality dating shows it's like you root for the good ones and you're and you're cussing out the villains at the screen like me me and uh, my friends were watching this together and we're just you, you should just see the two of us like screaming at the screen just like what what are you doing just it's the sort of emotionally like rewarding show, right? Because of of the ups and downs. Have you seen Have you seen the trailers for this, Sam? Does this sound like a good idea to you? I, I don't know. Somehow I have missed all the trailers for this. Like yes. it was not on my radar at all. <laughs> I, I'm I'm like <laughs> we, I'm I'm like embarrassed to say that like I kind of want to watch now. You do. I know you should. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's good. I want you to watch this. Um, <laughs> It's the I last mean, episode uh, just just got released to Netflix. Julio's telling me don't do it. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> do know. it. Do it. Oh, I can't wait till like we get an update from you next week if you've seen it. Like obviously the premise is like great for drama, right? But like on the like personal level, this seems like a terrible idea because oh, yeah. it's like if your if your relationship is so rocky that you're willing to take the step <laughs> is. Look, I think we can save our relationship by dating other people. Wait, wait, on a what? Reality that, show. Does, that doesn't make on a reality show. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I love. Th- so, <laughs> so this is this is like fully like last straw. I'm gonna oh. date somebody else, see if I like it, and then if I don't, then maybe we can try again. Like this is this is the most like nonsensical thing, like real life thing that like you would ever do. And it's just like, okay, I guess I this is where we're so at much. now. Yes. And it's like, okay, sure, like the, the show is called Ultimatum, so they're delivering on that. And it's like, you know, you, you do you do run into those couples, like everyone knows that couple that has been dating for forever, and they're like, are you going to get married, or are you just going to, you know, and by the way, no, you don't, no one has to get married. Like, if you just want to be yes. boyfriend and girlfriend forever and don't deal with all the paperwork yeah. and all the sure. hoopla, that's cool too. But it's yeah. like, you know, you, you there's like, you know someone who's like you know they've always wanted to get married and like the other person the other person in the relationship is just not into it and it's like okay that's an issue because you have different expectations and that's the thing that you need to hammer out going on a dating show hosted by nick lachey is probably not the way to do it but i mean i guess it's like you know maybe your pleasure is our entertainment uh yeah yeah i I can Exactly. I've seen eight episodes of this. The ninth episode just dropped. I'm going to watch it right after this podcast. Um, but but I can already tell you that like, okay, there are two couples that like go back, get back together after they do the like cursory dating pool thing. Um, and maybe you'll agree with the reasons they did that. And then we go move on to the next stage, which is like some of the couples, um, they get to pick who out of the other pairings they want to date for real for real and then they go and live together in trial marriages for three weeks and see how it goes and see what they learn and and see if it's them or their partner that's the problem right like so then after Tri- that trial marriages is just like the most insane like like setup it's amazing the amount of drama that comes after those trial marriages 
Incredible. I, I, I will just tell you, it's just, it's just freaking awesome. And I'm at the end now where they like decide if they want to get back together with their exes or not. And I'm here for, I'm re- I'm waiting. I, I have my like star couples in mind. Um, but also for, for this, uh, for the people who tune into this podcast, Sam is like one of my go-to relationship advice givers. So, so I love when like Sam watches these shows and you're like, this is what you should be doing. I'm like, yes, sage advice. Keep it coming. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, now Ben Ben's telling us the premise of the show keeps getting worse. And it's like, well, and that's the whole point. It's like, this is the most unrealistic situation. And so, like, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is, like, this is TV. Yes, these are real people, but, like, they have signed on to, you know, do something that is not realistic in any way, even though it might be presented as, like, hey, they're trying to fix their relationship. It's like, you know, it, it's 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 part comedy, part... I mean, and there's all that production that goes into it. So it's like, you know, anyone who's trying to, like, extrapolate real life advice from the show itself is like, you can watch how people fail so you don't make the same mistakes. That's really what it is when I watch shows like this. It's just, ah, that's me sometimes. Right. The the best thing you do is, like, learn what not to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and this show is great for it. So there you go. The Ultimatum on Netflix. Uh, A great fun watch if you are not in the energy to do anything like strong dark or heavy this is the exact opposite of that well that's it for the episode this week everyone thank you as always for listening our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own terence o'brien you can find sam online at at sam rutherford and obviously on engadget.com <laughs> good to know uh if you have any tips for devices that could take care of your face without punching it uh, you can send them to me on twitter i'm at sherlyn low email us your thoughts at podcastandengadget.com leave us a review please on itunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts